welcome to How You Spend Your Days. The goal of this show is to explore debt, break down the stigma around talking about money, and share my own journey of becoming debt-free. My name is Colin Loretz, and this week I am joined again by Tanya Hester. Hi there. Welcome back. Thank you. So yeah, we're now in episode 22, so it's been over just about five months of doing the show. Um, so that would be good to get Tanya back on uh, and we can just kind of go through some updates this week uh, and see how life is going post book launch for you uh, and just kind of see where where I'm sitting in terms of uh, all the different goals and things that I've been coming up with um, over these last couple episodes. Yeah, I'm excited to hear your updates too. Yeah, so for me, um, it's something that with the interviews that we've been doing, uh, I don't always do an update on kind of how the numbers are going. Uh, I have been updating the spreadsheet, which uh, I now am realizing I need to update for um, for March so that we have that in there. But um, the big thing for me has just been focusing on my income uh, and smoothing that out, still focused on freelance income. Uh, and figuring out how to make that uh, be predictable and figuring out, you know, do I pay myself a set amount each month once I'm able to and all of that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, in doing the interviews and going into certain book topics and things, I haven't always been giving um, updates, but there have been a few little setbacks um, that we can jump into. But the big one just being that my uh emergency fund had to go down to zero so that I could make uh, bills and payments and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in general, that was kind of a good thing that I had that to use. So I didn't, you know, have to put more on credit cards and the like. So that was, that was good. Yeah. I mean, on some level, that's what the emergency fund is for, right? Like maybe it wasn't full emergency, but it was, that was progress that you had it to to yeah. use in the first place. Yeah, it was savings. So mm -hmm. I I do look forward to having that, you know, for true emergencies. But in this case, you know, I think maybe even as a freelancer, I need to reframe that as, you know, that is what that money is for is when, you know, uh, you know, clients may not pay on the right, the right time. And that may not be the client's fault either. That may be for any number of reasons. But um, there is that volatility and cash flow that happens with freelancing. And so it's almost like you need to have that freelance cash flow fund on top of an emergency fund if you're going to make freelancing work. And uh, if I look at my income over the last couple of years, it, it seems to always have that trend of, you know, high months and low months that end up averaging out to something that is a little bit more, I guess, average or normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of the things that Mark and I have always done, or I shouldn't say always, but for the last decade or so is in addition to an emergency fund, we also have a life happens fund, which I think is really the function that your emergency fund just served. And that was a concept that I got from Susie Orman, which I think is totally solid. And I've I've been thinking too in the last year and a half since I quit my formal employment that if I had to freelance now for all my income, you know, like if I was reliant on that, I think I'd probably mm -hmm. do three accounts. I'd probably do the emergency fund, the life happens fund, and the, you know, kind of cash flow, like current stuff so that you have multiple tiers. Because like, I do very little work now <laughs> that I bill people <laughs> for, but I have an invoice from December that is still outstanding in April. And I'm just super lucky that like, that's annoying, but it, isn't materially 
significant to my life. Uh, but like, if it was, I mean, like, is that, is that just how it goes? People pay you like four months late? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think that's what I love about the show is that we were trying to figure out what we should talk about this episode. And, and in some ways, just talking through it, it starts to present itself. But you know, a lot of times people are like, you shouldn't go freelance until you have X number of months of, you know, expenses in the bank. But that's not always the reality for people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people go into freelancing because they get laid off and they still have skills and they still have the ability to work. And you don't always have that, uh, you know, that cash sitting on the side waiting for you to be able to do that. And I do know that, like, I mean, I haven't done this personally, but if I was able to freelance without any debt, every job that I would take on would, it, you just approach it differently than when you have to think about that as income that you have to use to service debt, um, you know, in terms of which projects you take and which ones you pass on and all that kind of stuff too. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it ends up making it so that you're operating from a place of scarcity. And so I do like that idea of having the three different funds. I think the mentality that I had around an emergency fund was that I'm not allowed to touch it. And so it felt bad to, to go take that out. But mm -hmm. you know, it would have felt worse to have to go borrow money or put more money on my cards too. So uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's something that I, th I think isn't talked about enough that like we talk about funding an emergency fund. And I think generally that's really, really good advice. You know, most people don't have that if everyone would just have $1,000 in an emergency fund, we as a country would be better off. But I actually think it makes sense to fund your life happens fund first because that is more likely <laughs> to be necessary. And so like, I think the three account approach, obviously, like you said, not everyone's in a position to set themselves up perfectly financially before they start freelancing. So it's more of an aspirational goal or maybe something you work toward. But I think if it was me, I'd probably fund life happens first and then emergency second and then work on leaving those alone as much as possible and building up, you know, kind of the cash flow account. Um, right. But that's, you know, my unemployed for a year and a half expertise, which is not very long. So. I think it, it's more important to do what feels right for you. Yeah. And obviously life life happens more than emergencies happen. So mm -hmm. that's a good little philosophy to go by. Um, what I like about all of that is um, this concept I actually saw, I think it was, uh, I'll have to try to find which Instagrammer it was, but this idea of putting, uh, of setting a new floor for your uh, finances. So you're not thinking about, you know, absolute zero as being the floor, but instead you know, a uh, thousand, two thousand, whatever that number is, and continuing to grow that floor so that when you do get to that point where you're like, you know, this isn't really safe to spend money anymore uh, because I'm approaching that floor, uh, really just changes how you think about it. And so for me, that floor has been zero for a really long time. And having that, you know, emergency fund or life happens funds really changed that so that it wasn't, uh, you know, going in the negative direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. So I think the other big thing for, for both of us is taxes. Um, it's April. <laughs> um, I, you know, despite having to empty out that, you know, emergency fund and I'm going to focus on once I actually get paid and have some cash flow coming in, starting to rebuild that again, uh, I am excited to actually be able to make um, my first quarterly estimated taxes as a freelancer. So thankfully, I didn't have to go into that account at all um, because that 
you know, I've done a pretty good job of using a tool that takes that money away from me. So I cannot be tempted to even raid that at all. Um, and so that those are due April 15th for any freelancers or anybody that has, um, I guess, 1099 income. Um, and, and I guess personal income tax is also due April 15th. So mm-hmm. we're all we're all in that boat right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we we are in the boat of this is our first year having to file all the self-employment stuff. And we paid quarterly taxes last year. And even though I am perfectly competent at math, it's <laughs> such a complicated set of formulas they make you do. And our income was super uneven over the course of the year because it was like first quarter I got actually maybe it was second quarter I got a book advance. Then third quarter, Mark did a little bit of work. And fourth quarter, there was very little. And I'm I'm just actually pretty terrified that we mess something up or that we're going to get penalized for underwithholding, in addition to just the taxes getting more complicated this year, since technically Mark and I are each now sole proprietors, even though like we don't think of ourselves as owning businesses. The, the IRS still does. So we have to okay. file accordingly. Yeah, I was going to wonder. So you guys are just doing sole proprietorship. There's no entities or anything that you guys are doing work through. Yeah, I did a lot of homework on starting an LLC, but there were several reasons why I decided not to. One is in California, you have to pay a minimum tax regardless of how much you earn. And though I'm generally pro-tax, I don't like paying fees just for the hell of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those are pretty high. Um, California is also super aggressive about pursuing all taxable income. So I knew like filing in Nevada wouldn't be an option, even though it's right next door. Uh, And then the other thing was most of my activities I do as me and not as a corporate entity. So the LLC wouldn't actually give me any liability protection. Like anyone who was a decent lawyer at all could pierce that corporate (laughs) veil and say, okay, you're saying your book is in your LLC, but like this is you giving advice as a person. And so what I did instead is just uh, up my umbrella insurance, which is added liability insurance uh, that kind of protects everything. And it's, it's sort of for everything. Like if some person decides they want to target us and they slip and fall, I'm putting that in air quotes, on ice in our driveway, uh, that gives us extra protection too, which I think is just like important to me as a person who talks about money on the internet. And then the other thing I did was add media liability insurance. So if anyone specifically sues over content in my book, despite a very lengthy disclaimer, uh, I have some protection there. So ultimately, those things felt like better choices than going the LLC route. And it also I hope makes taxes a bit simpler, even though they're still going to be plenty complicated. Right. Yeah. And for me, I have an LLC and it's mostly, uh, you know, the limited liability there is, is, is kind of similar because it really is just me doing software development. And, uh, you know, unless there's like gross negligence or something like that, you know, there's, there's other errors and omissions and other insurance, like you just mentioned that you can help protect against the work that I do. But, mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, you know, for me, the entity is mostly just to give myself a kind of professional uh, exterior. Like I don't do my work as Colin Lorette's. Um, and so mm-hmm. it just gives you another thing to to create a bank account in and paychecks to and all of that. So although fun, fun fact is you could have a fictitious business entity and I don't know what the rules are uh, in Nevada, but I could still stay a sole proprietor and like, for example, uh, 
have people call me our next life media. And that's just a a DBA form doing business as, and you have to fill out the form, pay like a hundred bucks and then run an ad in two consecutive newspaper issues (laughs) 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 to tell the public that you are (laughs) doing business as this fictitious name. But just for folks who fear the, you know, the incorporation stuff or the LLC stuff, you don't actually have to go through all that just to use a name. Like you can get a, a um, taxpayer or what's it called? Why am I struggling with this? An employer ID number? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. An you can go get yeah. that on the IRS website in like three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're a freelancer too, um, you know, depending on your financial situation and, and how much money you're bringing in, there's lots of different pros and cons for a few things too. There's, you know, also S-Corps and LLCs mm-hmm. and sole proprietorships. So it really depends on how much work you're doing, what kind of work you're doing and, uh, Yeah, we're not making any advice on that either. Another disclaimer. (laughs) Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, and I think like for you, an LLC to me just like inherently makes more sense or intuitively makes more sense because your goal is to grow your business, whereas my goal is to shrink my business (laughs) (laughs) and to work as little as possible. So I I feel like I would I would have like a sunk cost fallacy kind of thing going on. Like if I invested in an LLC and did that and did all the documents, I would feel like I have to grow just because I had done that. Right. And I'm trying well, to not do that. <laughs> yeah. And the other half of that, I mean, uh, is that do you want to have to focus on even having those obligations of keeping that up to date? And there's just all these other things that go into maintaining just that entity mm-hmm. um, that if you're trying to make it go to become as small as possible that you you don't necessarily want to deal with those things. And mm-hmm. um, I do wish that there were easier ways, you know, it, it's pretty straightforward once you just, you know, like you said, you have certain amounts that you have to pay to, to keep the entity going and all of that. Um, but you just have to make sure that you do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't always, the, the websites from governments don't always make it the easiest thing to do in the world, but <laughs> <laughs> nope, <laughs> nope. Um, so yeah, we're actually having a tax day here at the co-working space, um, not to do taxes, but, uh, or f- we're not doing taxes for anybody, but it's more of, you know, a bunch of us are going to be doing our turbo tax or whatever it is that we do, um, just kind of carve out some time and make ourselves do it, um, so that it's, it's done and off of our plates. I love that. It's like tax mastermind. Exactly. Just a little accountability in there. So I think the last time we had you on the show, you were pre-book launch, uh, and now we're post-book launch. Uh, so how's that all been going for you? Um, overall, great. I think it has been illuminating in a million different ways. I feel like I've been drinking from a fire hose for the last two years of working on the proposal and getting an agent and getting a book deal and then writing and like the last few months have been very illuminating in terms of what it actually takes to market a book and sell a book. And I've gotten some pretty amazing media. Like I think that looking at the list of coverage that I've gotten, I think like anybody objectively would say that's that's pretty darn good. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily <laughs> translate into book sales, which I think has been one of the the bigger things that I've learned. So all of that has kind of led to the realization that I sort of paced myself mentally the wrong way for this. Like I had mentally prepared myself for a big launch period that started way before the book of doing advanced press and advanced podcasts and, and all these different things. But 
in fact, this is like a long, long game of <laughs> continuing to promote it. And, you know, I think on that front, that's just been, you know, kind of, it's it's always tough to adjust our expectations. But I think it's been one of those moments for me of going, okay, I thought it was this, but really it's this. And also, I'm sort of at a point where it's like, I don't completely know what else to do because I have gotten good press. Like I've sort of exhausted a lot of options. I've talked to a ton, you know, a lot of bloggers have written about it, been on a ton of podcasts. It's so that's sort of where I am uh, with the the book. But I think the bigger thing is really that the book has been kind of forcing the issue for me of thinking about what role I want work to play in my life. Like I, I definitely was very intentional about saving and retiring early than I was intentional about going about the book itself. But I think I, I thought that by now, early April, that I'd be mostly done with the book hustle. And now realizing that I'm not, I'm sort of being forced to contemplate with that and writing my blog and the podcast that I do separately. Um, you know, I just, I have to figure out a way to make all that work and still feel early retired. And so the thing that I'm playing around with right now, which this could change, but right now I'm focused on every two weeks having one super productive day where I go to the library or, you know, I shut myself away somewhere where I'm less likely to like be on Twitter all day and just really, really focus, like respond to the emails that need responding, write the things that need writing and try to function that way. I've also put on a really lengthy auto reply on my blog email address that is reducing the need to reply to a lot of things, which is really, really good uh, for me just mentally. Because I think even though I'm not technically required to respond to all those things, you know, nobody's like withholding money from me or anything like that. I still carry that stress around of knowing like, okay, I have 300 unresponded emails. (laughs) So um, like that, the auto responder, I felt a little slimy putting it on there, but I've had enough people write back and, or, you know, give good feedback on it that I feel like it's just necessary. Like it's, it's basically saying here are the frequently asked questions, here are answers to the things that people are most commonly asking me via email. Here are the things I will not respond to and just kind of a general blanket apology if I can't get back to people. (laughs) Um, But yeah, but that's been a really good thing. So, yeah, and I imagine that with the book and putting yourself out there that you just had a slew of questions and, you know, people handing out advice and things, adding to things that you've put in the book or uh, in podcasts and all the different places that you've showed up in. Uh, so I think I got the autoresponder when I emailed you last week and I thought it was it was really good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I mean, a lot of it is like a ton of the emails that I get are just like i downloaded the book on Audible and I can't find the PDF that you're talking about. And so (laughs) I don't need to give a custom email to each one of those questions, even though I'd love for people to be able to hear from me one-on-one. But so that's in the FAQ in there. Things like, can we hang out because I'm coming to visit Tahoe, which is a question I get a ton. And I would love to be able to say yes to all those, but the volume is just uh, not doable. And so I direct people to the Facebook group that I set up for this purpose, and we have periodic meetups there. So I've just tried to funnel as much of that stuff into places where it's still being helpful, it's still being responsive to people, but it's not requiring like individual responses every single time for the common things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it, it was a tough thing to be okay with putting that out there. But yeah, again, it's just like, it's it's been a good thing for my mental health and my stress level, which... Uh, I'm prioritizing more. Right. Well, and you get to then 
push some of that towards things you already want to spend time on, things like the Tahoe Fire Group and, uh, you know, any of those areas that you're putting time and attention to. And, you know, like we talked about as the title of the show is figuring out how you want to spend the time that you have and the days that you are, uh, you know, moving through so that you can do what you want to do, um, especially being early retired and not having to worry about, uh, you know, you're, what you're doing as your day-to-day work is being essential for your income. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I, I think it's just been kind of like an overarching question since we quit working of which things are doable, which aren't, what are the trade-offs? Because I used to reply to every single comment on my blog mm-hmm. and I don't anymore. And I still feel a little bit of guilt about that, but I finally had to just make peace with the fact that I can either respond to all the comments or I can actually write the blog. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I'd rather write the blog. Um, and so whenever folks have asked about that, that's sort of what I say is like, I've come to accept I cannot do all these things and still feel early retired. And I think everyone who reads about my journey or reads the book would understand like, we all have to kind of create some parameters for ourselves. And so uh, if I don't want to work essentially full-time hours, then there are going to be trade-offs. And so, yeah, blog comments, responding to every email, those are things I've had to give up doing the podcast less often. I mean, there, there are a bunch of things that I've I've tried to scale back, but I try, I'm trying to do them like one at a time so that it doesn't feel like I'm bailing and no longer have integrity in life or something like that. Right. Yeah. The things that you do, you want to do well. Um, and I like that. I mean, you talk about creating a money mission statement in the book and, you know, I've had to do that with even the things that I'm trying to do is like, what do I want? I guess, how do I want money to play a role in my life? What are the things that are non-negotiables? What are the things that I, you know, have been doing, but maybe don't bring me any joy and can go away, especially if it's something that I'm spending money on or spending too much time on and not, you know, getting my actual work done. Um, Cause I fall into that same trap with software. Like I could be learning things all day long, but if I can't use those things to actually build things for clients, then, you know, they're cool tools and craft that I can learn, but you know, that has to translate into what I'm, how I'm spending my time, uh, and energy and being able to actually take leisure time as leisure time and say like, this is time when I'm not working and I have to be okay with that. Can I just say first that I loved hearing you describe part of the book in your own words. (laughs) That makes me really happy. Um, but yeah, like part of the money mission statement and that whole portion of the book, which for those who have it, it's chapter three in work optional, uh, there's part of it that's that could sound sort of negative, which is the idea of giving up on certain dreams or letting go of certain things that you might really like to do, which I think is something that feels like, given our current societal narrative, like a failure. Like, if you're letting that go, you've given up somehow. But I think that's a really unhelpful way to think about it because the truth is if we all have 50 things we want to do, we're not going to get to all of them and we're probably not going to do any of them well. And if you say, okay, this is something I'd love to do, but like, that's really unrealistic, mm-hmm. then that frees you up to have more time to do the things you you want to do and will do. Like I gave the example of, um, I've always loved climbing mountains and I think there had been some part of my brain that imagined that I was maybe going to like climb in the Himalayas one day. And I finally was like, 
you know what? That's never going to happen. <laughs> that's not sad. Like that's okay because then I don't have to one feel this like stress of letting myself down for not achieving some goal. But I also then can sort of say like there's no point trying to fit hours and hours of training every day into my schedule when there are other things I want to fill that time with. So I think it's totally good to scale stuff back and to say, you know, this was a cool idea, but like, I'm not going to do that. And I'm also not going to waste time being sad about that because it's actually happy to focus on the things that you love most. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked a lot about being mindful and kind of being intentional about the things that you're spending money on, spending time on, uh, focusing on which goals you're focusing on. And I think a lot of people end up going through this weird uh expectation and reality like vicious circle of creating these expectations in their mind that like you said that it's not sad that you are taking them down to a realistic place like you uh can't do everything on the planet right you have to pick the things that you think you'll be uh able to enjoy the most or maybe the things that you're really good at or whatever that might be um and kind of uh, remove those expectations from yourself, especially if some of those expectations are from other people, which tends to be the norm uh, more than not, is that there are things that other people want for you to do or that, you know, you're expected to do culturally or whatever that might be. And uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's, that's a bad thing to be able to actually examine each of those and reframe them and figure out what's important to you and and then go after those things, like even with, with more gusto, because those are going to be the things that you're going to be spending your time on. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's not giving up something as much as it's doubling down on something else, which is an awesome thing. The mission statement part definitely stuck out to me just in terms of like what I've been focused on. Um, so that's why I wanted to bring that part up. But, you know, the big thing, the idea that if you stand for everything, like you read even company mission statements that are very vague and have like every possible, you know, good thing. And then <laughs> it's like they're very you don't know what they stand for because they're they're trying to do everything. Um, and so I think coming up with what your mission statement is, or even if you don't even want to think of it as a mission statement, but like what your money personality is or what your money habits are so that you can kind of think about them and figure out like, you know, what, what are, what do I know that I do? What are triggers that I know that I have that cause me to spend money in, um, or in some cases, you know, procrastinate on work or, you know, find myself burying myself in too much work and just figuring out like, what do you want to stand for and, and go from there. I love that idea of bringing how you spend time into the money mission statement also because they're so closely related. And I I, I just, I really love that. I love that a lot. Um, it's funny because when I used to work, I helped a lot of nonprofits and cause-driven organizations rewrite their mission statements. And it was funny how many of them would like cling dearly to everything in there. And I really believe, I don't actually know what the genesis of the vision statement is, but I believe that companies started having a mission statement and a vision statement basically to like weenie out of having to take a stand in the mission statement. Where it's like, if your mission statement is strong and is truly what you stand for, you don't need a vision statement. It's in there. Uh, So yeah, just a comment on corporate culture. (laughs) We love corporate culture. (laughs) Of course, of course. Uh, Oh, that's awesome. So I love that you have a money mission statement now and that that part of the book spoke to you. Like, do you feel like having that is helping you? 
Um, yeah, for me, I think especially like February caused me to really like retune and like reset how I was spending money. That was the month where I tried to not eat out um, at all, which ended up, I think, coming down to like, I think it was like four or five times, um, which is a huge reduction from what I was doing in October. And um, just in general, not only did I find that I spent less money, which was like the end goal, but there are all these little side effects that came off of it that I wouldn't have said were things that I would have like written down in a mission statement. Um, mm. So they're kind of like ripples to to that, which is that by not eating out at restaurants, um, I was making all my food at home, which also tended to be healthier. And then I lost a bunch of weight because of it, which was good. Um, and so just like general fitness and health and all of that stuff also went up. Um, and then now because of that, I really don't feel an urge to go out to, to eat. Like I still enjoy it on occasion, but it's not a thing that becomes the default anymore. Uh, and uh, I've kind of talked about it before, but when I do find myself slipping back into it, it's because I just was like in a rush or am not paying attention to other things that are going on in my life. So if if I go out to lunch while I'm working, it's because I didn't do things the night before to get ready for lunch and that day of meal prep and all that kind of stuff. And so it ends up being, you know, that I'm, I find myself being in just a very unproductive, rushed, um, anxiety filled day. And I, those are not my best days. Um, so in general, just having that idea of like lower spending, slower days in some ways, like actually taking things with more intention and just being able to slow down a little bit more and be ready for the day. Um, has really helped me because I get my work done more often. I have, you know, better days in general, and that's been pretty helpful. That's amazing. I'm just over here, like, <laughs> giving you air high fives. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I I didn't expect it. It's something that, you know, of course, since I don't have that rule around no, no restaurant spending right now, it's starting to come back a little bit. Um, I mm -hmm. would say that the urge is different. Um, but it's definitely reduced cooking is something that I just enjoy a lot more than I did even before. Um, uh, and so I, I think maybe doing a few challenges like that every now and then will be a good way of resetting it. Like even just doing it for like a week at a time, just to bring myself back to that. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing that we should all just accept that it's kind of cyclical. Like we're going to have times in life when it feels easier to cook at home and to do things the slower, harder way. And other times when we feel like throwing money at problems and you know going out to eat more or whatever that looks like. So I think the idea of a, a reset is a great thing. Like my friend Liz, who writes the blog Frugal Woods and wrote uh, the book Meet the Frugal Woods, she does a thing a couple times a year called the Uber Frugal Challenge, where you spend a month and you try to spend as little as you possibly can to try to figure out what your true floor is. And also just to kind of reset some of that stuff so that when you go back to regular spending at the end of it, you're less tempted to go out to eat as much or whatever it is that might be a spending trigger for you. And I think for folks who haven't done something like that before, it can be a really, really good exercise. You both learn a lot about where your money's actually going and what some of your triggers are. And you get this great reset, which I think we just all need from time to time. I think that's, that's just how it goes. That's not a personal failing. Yeah, it's a little bit like a spring cleaning. Um, and in some cases, you know, especially if you do file, find yourself coming backwards, like uh, doing that little reset, it's like a detox 
or you can just start over again. You don't have to beat yourself up about finding yourself back in that position. And and that new normal will hopefully be lower in general. I think challenges like that are a good way of doing it in a way that's not depriving yourself forever. It's just a little challenge, a little experiment to see you know, how, how well you can do that. And you're trying to play golf and have this, the lowest number possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah. So I think uh, that'll probably wrap it up for this episode. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? No, I'm good. Cool. Um, so before we get let you go, where can people find uh, you and your book and all those sorts of things on the internet? <laughs> uh my website is ournextlife.com. And from there, you can link to the book, which the book is called Work Optional, Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pinching Way, available wherever books are sold. So wherever you, you like to buy them, indie bookstore, Amazon, anything in between, they're in all the places. It's also on Audible and regular audiobook spots uh, with my reading of it, which was a whole interesting other learning experience. <laughs> Uh, but on ournextlife.com, you can link to uh, my podcast, The Fair Sense, and all the social stuff. I definitely use Twitter and Instagram the most, so uh, you can find me there. But yeah, I, I love to connect with more folks. Awesome. And uh, you can find me and the uh, Instagram and Twitter for how you spend your days at, at how you spend. Uh, if you want to send me anything on Twitter or Instagram, it's at Colin Loretz. And as always, if you are getting a lot out of the show, uh, we would love uh, if you could give us any ratings, reviews, um, share the show with your friends. It uh, really helps more people find the show and uh, join this conversation that we're having about money and the role that it has in our lives. So thanks again, Tanya. Welcome back. This is fun. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions.